It's a bit like my books being in the self-help section. You know, don't put them there. If you were to ask me, do I want them to help people? Yes. Do I write them to help people? Yes. Would I ever admit that? No. You know, all my pathetic sort of reticence and recalcitrance about not wanting to be seen as a pushy expert. Don't mistake that for I internally haven't wanted to improve or listen or learn. It's a real privilege in your life if you get a little pinky bit of time, a little chink in the universe, where you can just be the creative person the dear Lord intended you to be. Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to another edition of the Performance Intelligence Podcast, the podcast about all things human performance. Today's guest, Nigel Maas, she's a former recalcitrant now qualified provider of advice. That'll make a lot more sense as we discuss. Nigel is best known for his creative pursuits, including being the co-founder of Earth Hour and the Sydney Skinny. Nigel's TED Talk on work-life balance has been viewed over 5 million times. He presents his unique, I put a little asterisk there, Nigel, business and personal views to major corporations around the world. He's also a proud ambassador of the Australian Indigenous Education Foundation. Nigel has spent the past 30 years, gosh, you look fresh, young man. I want to know about your skincare and your hair regime. 30 plus years forming a global career in marketing strategy and comms, including CEO and chairman roles at Darcy, Leo Burnett, YNR Brands and The Leading Edge. He's the author of four best-selling books, including Overworked and Underlaid, Fat, 40 and Fired, Fit, 50 and Fired Up and the recently released, I have it in my greasy mitts, Smart, Stupid and 60. It's a great book. We're going to get into that. And I can't wait for the next manuscript Nigel told me he's working on. That's titled Saggy, Seductive and 69. (laughs) I made that bit up just to see whether you're listening, my friend. His podcast, The Five of My Life is a cracker and it's previously been awarded Australian Podcast of the Year. Uh, In his current role as CEO of Strategic Consultancy at West 82nd, Nigel helps leaders gain clarity, alignment and momentum regarding their future direction. So that's all the business stuff. Personally, I think one of Nigel's greatest achievements is staying married for 30 years with four happy, healthy and connected children. In fact, Nigel doesn't know this, but I interviewed Alex, one of his children who happens to work in an office literally across the corridor from mine in the working hub here in Lavender Bay. And Al said the following, Dad is certainly becoming more comfortable with his credibility and giving advice. Previously, he was effusive that this is just my story. If you take something from it, great. He's certainly been loath to tell people what to do. This, this one got me, Nigel. When I pressed him further and I asked Al to give me a comment on you, I was trying to get something to throw at you because I thought, you know, you do all this stuff. You're making me feel incompetent. Surely, surely his kid thinks he's an arsehole or something like that. But Al said the following, Dad is an incredibly caring, generous and thoughtful man. He gives us all tons of attention and thought and he knows exactly what makes us all feel special and happy. And I genuinely had goosebumps when he said that to me. As a father of four children myself, if one of my kids ever says that about me to a podcast producer, I'll feel like I've made it. But I thought that was beautiful hearing that from one of your children, because you can't script that. No, that's, I mean, yeah, I'm very, I'm very touched. That's lovely that he would say that. He did say it's also, <laughs> he said it's Christmas and to remember that when you're shopping for presents. <laughs> Remember when we first met? Do you remember where it was? I think potentially we were in the MCG. Is that right? You've got a good memory. It was the hallowed well, MCG. We were both doing a speech. I mean, well, I mean, I do quite a lot of them, so I, I, I can't remember each individual client. All the clients are lovely. But we were in the – we weren't on the pitch. We were in one of the, the 
the corporate one of the members rooms and you were speaking before lunch i was after lunch uh a mutual buddy of ours paul vine who it was then acla australian corporate legal association which is now association of corporate counsel big name change they've dropped the l and the a and they've just gone a double c you were talking before lunch and i'd heard about you you'd written fat 40 and fired a number of years and a lot of people said you got to see this guy nigel marsh he's hilarious he's contrarian he's sometimes a bit cantankerous but i think he puts it on and this is how you started your presentation i couldn't believe it we're in this room 450 to 500 liars and you stand up and you had a book it was your book subtle plug and you went business books right business books sorry about the accent who reads business books and about two-thirds of the audience put their hands up and and then you picked up another book and it was Who Moved My Cheese? You said, here's one, all right. <laughs> who Moved My Cheese? Who, who has read Who Moved My Cheese? And about a third of the audience put their hands up and you just went, who moved my cheese? Who the fuck cares? And there was this blend of laughter and <gasps> lawyers, right? Internal corporate lawyers. Say, this guy said fuck at the start of his presentation. I laughed for five minutes. And then I watched you and I learned a lot about you that day because you took the contrarian path, but you got their attention. So somehow I think the marketing advertising agency guy was there trying to draw their attention at the start and have a bit of fun. No, well, I, 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 now you're telling it. I, I can actually, I can sort of picture that moment and and remember, remember that. Uh, gosh, yeah. But it's almost like some people wanted to turn to the person next to them and ask for permission to laugh because you're quite serious lawyers, lovely people. But who the fuck cares? It was brilliant. <laughs> Is that the first time you'd done that? Did you do that multiple times after that? It's interesting. I, I mean, and at any stage, redirect me if I'm saying things that your audience couldn't care about. But I, I like you know opening with a joke or something that gets people's attention. You know, I take my speaking work seriously, and I used to open. I mean, I, mean, I make it up as I go. But the, the first book, Fat Forty Five, was quite successful. So I had an opening where I would say, "People ask me if I'm writing another book," and because uh, people did, and I go, "Yes," and they say, "You know, what's it?" What's it going to be, you know, called? What's it about? And I and I say it's a it's a diet book, and it's going to be called Stop Moaning and Eat Less, You Fat Cow. And that, trust me, mate, that slayed the the audience. I I, I get you know blah blah blah. And then a chap said to me, um, it was actually Paul Wilson, the guy who wrote Little Book of Calm. Um, it was you know he saw that go down as well as the one that you saw. Um, and he said, you know, what's your intention in telling that? joke and I go oh, I'll tell you what it is it's to get them all relaxed and thinking that you know I'm not you know I'm not just the, the average speaker I'm going to you know be engaged and you might want to sit up a bit and listen and get people laughing and sitting up and he goes yeah but what would happen if there were two fat women in the audience who were really upset would you be pleased I go no I'll be I'll be I've got no intention of upsetting anybody and he goes well you might want to think about a better a better opening and I thought wow so then I I try and think of openings that you know, have a similar impact, but aren't offensive. And then, but now you say, I never use the bloke's name. So just pretend someone said to me, whatever he's called, heard you take the piss out of him, he's upset. I'd immediately stop saying that joke. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to upset anyone. I'm trying to make a point. And, and there's, a, there's a huge point behind that joke, just like there is behind the fat diet book, which is, you know, I mean, don't get me started. It, it is, we can all listen to you know, morons who couldn't run a bath, let alone a company, giving us advice that they're completely unqualified to. So it, it, it's humour rooted in some sort of lesson. But, you know, I, I've got lots of different, lots of different. There were three little 
mice up the back of the room who were really upset. They, they came up to me and said, why would he do that? <laughs> Thank you so, for yeah, laughing. That was, a, that was a really lame joke. See, I'm trying my material on you. Um, <laughs> Make a signal when it's a joke and then I'll laugh. We'll put in some canned laughter after that one, Wiz. <laughs> I want to talk to you about shifting philosophy. We had a quick phone call last week. I was on the way back from Canberra and just doing some you know, connecting with you about the podcast. And you said, I'm, I'm happy to talk about some of the changes and the philosophy. I went, oh, don't tell me all this because I want to pull on that thread in the podcast. But before I do that, can I, I just call out that I reckon I called your bluff at lunch when we were at the Gold Coast. We just finished presenting about four or five weeks ago with AMP Advice Awards. Uh, once again, you were before me and I'm after. You're always the main event and I follow on. And I've got to, got to get to the organisers around that main event and then they'll throw Maisie on just for some lighthearted entertainment and jokes. We went and had lunch and I, you said, you order. What did I order for you? You were outraged. Oh, it was rabbit food. It was bollocks. So I, I was after the sweet, you, you know, the potato chips and the sweet chilli sauce and the burger with extra, extra cheese and, and you ordered some hideous broccoli concoction that was actually delicious it's delicious it was, yeah i lost tons of weight and that's where i, I said I, i'm under you champ i've worked out your bluff because you have this gruff cantankerous contrarian view but uh, underneath it all i said you care i said no no correction you deeply care and you said of course i do of course I do. And I, I dug into the archive. So let me look at example one on your previous bluff. This is an article in the AFR called Forget Fake Glamour, Embrace Mediocrity and Melancholy Instead. In this article, you say it's not just about mediocrity that's got a bad, unhelpful press. It's melancholy. And in some ways, this is more damaging. Wellness porn. I love that saying. Wellness porn gives the impression that life is all about or should be all about joy and happiness, which is obviously bollocks. I'm not arguing in favour of walking around under a permanent cloud. On the contrary, I'm a huge fan of positive thinking as long as it's reality-based and appropriately timed. Yeah, I, I, your lunch we had in, in the AMP conference, yeah, it was, it was quite an important uh, inflection point for me because it's a bit like my books being in the self-help section, which I, 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 I you know, don't put them there, blah, blah, blah. If you were to ask me, do I want them to help people? Yes. Do I write them to help people? Yes. Would I ever admit that? No. Right. And so what I've been doing, and it's interesting, my son's quote, because that, you know, what, what a sweetheart. That, that's right. Is you wouldn't do what I do. You wouldn't do speeches and, and coach people and run a consultancy. And, you know, I actually have been giving advice for the, the last 35 years, but never wanting to admit it because, you know, I think a bunch of morons give advice. And also I think people pretend that there's one answer for everyone, which there isn't. I also think people use the wrong forum. You know, if, if I burst into your Christmas lunch and started giving the six tips to running a successful business, you might say, Nigel, we haven't invited you. Could you go away? So I, I've been struggling with all those things where, where quietly, if someone asks me to coach them, well, I'm happy giving advice because they've asked me to coach. So hmm. what, what's happened and your lunch, for which, thank you, is, is one of the factors. Turning 60 is another, the, the, uh, something that the headmaster printed in a leaving annual report to a class is another thing. And some of the emails I've had, people saying in my latest book, please keep on writing your books, give me hope, blah, blah, is I've sort of crossed a Rubicon when I can grow up and own it without, without ever wanting to do it in the wrong forum, without wanting to say I've got all the answers. But, but you go, do you know what? 
maybe I can do it at 60, which I couldn't at 40, and, and only quietly. I mean, um, you know, you asked me to be on your podcast, so I didn't ask you type thing, and, and you asked me this question. So if you were to say, if you were a, a business person, Nigel, I, I quite like your thoughts on X, rather than spending the next hour, which is what I have done, telling you, well, you know, I might not have the answer and you should get a second opinion. And you go, do you know what? Short circuit all that stuff. They wouldn't have asked me if they didn't think I might have something useful to say, maybe actually give them what I think. In coaching psychology, there's a term called lag time. And that is, there's a lag between how you perceive how others perceive you. And, And invariably, we are always behind how other people see us. I've seen you as a giver of advice, as a wise, wise sage wizard. He's the only person that has said Rubicon on this podcast. Uh, I've looked at you ever since I met you. Yeah, you've got the humor and everything, but underneath it all, I saw a seriousness, uh, an empathy, a real warmth and a genuine care. I've taken advice from you from the very start. Mm. So I, I've always wondered, is this your stick? Are you, the, are you doing this? Yeah, part your English. And then there is that, a lot of my English mates are self-deprecating, but the opposite of the Americans, hey, I'm awesome, here's my five steps, where the English sort of babble around and ask for permission, it's, it's, it's imbued yeah. upon you, yeah? And then I can't help but think there would be also some social conditioning where you grew up going to boarding school at five years of age, you went to, my goodness, that teaches you really about uh, in a group, and we talk about leadership, but in boarding school at five, it's followership, right? So you, you conform, so you don't pop out, you get on. And then I think part of it maybe just became your story, and people loved it, that you just manifested that. So I've got a bit psychological on you, but I have been reflecting on you know, in your third trimester as you get into 60 plus, and mate, you know, drink of the Kool-Aid with me, I'm going to get you to 100 plus. So I only think you're halfway there. But yeah, it's interesting, that reflection point from you. Yeah, but so to my my dad, there's a story in oh gosh, there's a story in uh, the latest book where that the worst sin in the Marsh family, which which I I understand as a parent, the worst sin in their mind was to get above your station, brag about yourself. So it's hardwired is the worst worst thing. If I were to say, oh, I, I don't know, there's I've done a little acting job, they would say, did it win the best Oscar? Whatever you, it didn't matter what you'd say, you know, oh, I've, I've, I've put in charge of this advertising agency. Will it be in the London Times? The, the, the worst thing you can do is think, is like the Australians say, have tickets on yourself. Mm. And I think it's a genuine struggle, which I am feeling much more comfortable with because when you get to it, I mean, just between you and I, this is not for anyone else. Okay, here we go. Well, so, no, no one listens to this podcast. Well, <laughs> but so what I'm about to say, I find difficult to say, but I'm going to say it because I'm authentically leaning into this, this podcast. So is I've been married for 31 years to a woman I love and we have a happy, judging good relationship. I've got four children I'm very proud of who aren't in jail and not on drugs and are nice, kind contributing humans i've set up the sydney skinny i've i've co-founded uh, i mean this, this sounds all braggy but you know i've, I've set up a podcast so I've, so I've written four best syllabus. therefore i might have some opinions on something and, and i'll tell you the thing you said about america which is is absolutely fascinating where well, i was talking to a bunch of lawyers one of the first speeches i did in america and they asked for a bio and i sent a bio and it said nigel came second to last in the Bondi to Bronte ocean race in the 2005 Bondi race. And they wrote back and they said, 
you know, someone's packed your email, they've sent a stupid biography. And I go, no, no, no that, was, that was me. Uh, and they go, no, no, could you send one about? And I said, no, no, that will do. That, that will be fine. Right? Anyway, I'm, I get to, it was, in, it was in Los Angeles. I get there. And, and before I'm going to go on stage, this guy says over the, the PA, there was dry ice and music. This, his version of, of that list of the sort of achievements that I've just said. And, and I was sort of mortified, but it sounded great. You think, God, that the bloke about to come on stage, you know, he's brilliant. And you go, but it's me. And you go, no. And it's just like the worst. You go, Nigel's done this and he's done this and he's done this. And you go, and, and so afterwards I complained. I said, I, 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 I said to you, just say I came second to last in the swim. And they go, listen, you idiot. You know, we've got one and a half thousand lawyers and, and you know, you're closing the conference. And they're American and they want to hear why on earth they should be listening to you, you fat numpty, right? So we pump up your tyres and you go, right. And at the lag effect you're talking about is I sort of get it, but it has to be in the, it's got to be in the appropriate forum. So I might now be less embarrassed. The next speech I do, I'm doing one in Austin, Texas, where they they blow smoke up my backside about how wonderful I am. You go, yeah, but no one else is hearing. It's just for the people in the audience, and they need to hear I'm great, else they won't listen. But so I, I sort of confuse that with that. But that doesn't mean I burst into your Christmas and tell your friends that I'm great. We are friends. Let's make a pact. Next time we're on the same card together, same conference, I'm doing your intro and I'm going to magnify the living daylights out of it. From from all intents and purposes, you you founded the land that the company is on, the electricity. You, know, you, you bought the women and children across the ravine. I'll even get Rubicon. Into, yeah. into the introduction and Sage. Oh, no, seriously, I'll do that. Next time we do it and we'll have a bit of fun with it. <laughs> yeah. Now, with that learning, two things I'm thinking about. If or when you do another TED Talk, would it be different to this? This is your opening line of your famous TED Talk, which, by the way, I'm going to pump your tires up for you again, champ. Over 5 million downloads. I believe it is the most downloaded talk outside of US speakers. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. And so what? That there's some guy who performed like a beatbox thing or something. Uh, I, I, I don't know, in, 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 I think in Australia, and that's got more downloads, but it's not a speech. He did an amazing performance of something. But so, yeah, I'm told by the people in America, it's, there, isn't, there hasn't been anyone that's been viewed more. Hasn't been. So if, if I was American and I gave it in America, I'd be rich. It's an open loop I want to keep there. But the the introduction you said in the TED Talk was with a simple request. I'd like you all to pause for a moment, you wretched weaklings, and take stock of your miserable existence. Would you still start with something like that to jolt? Or would you, in your third trimester now, would you be a little bit more optimistic? Would you be a little bit more, yeah, we can do this? Would you have a bit of an American twinge in the accent? No. And, and actually, it's interesting you mentioned that. That opening, because that goes back to your your original uh, conversation about you, you know who's moving my cheese, cheese, who cares, and 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 stop you know eating so much, you fat cow. It, it, it's another version of a you know I like a good opening, or as Julian Clary Clary said, I, I like a warm hand on my opening. Uh, I, I like to start with 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 an opener, uh, and I don't think I would go rah rah. I, I think sometimes people I mean, one of the things when I'm consulting with people or coaching them, is to do reflection. Sometimes you need a bit of a jolt, you know, and sometimes it's a it's an illness or it's a redundancy or it's a it's a death or it's you know, you know, so 
It's a mini version of that in a speech, which obviously not yourself, but in the main, lots of conferences are arse-numbingly boring. Mm. Everyone is 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 hopelessly mediocre, and they're sitting there on their phones. And uh, so it's a sort of a it's a you know listen up. It's a slap. It's a psychological, physiological slap. Hopefully a you know a relevant one, not a, not a, not a juvenile you know irrelevant thing. Is I that that quote is is arresting. But it's it's also what I believe is is you can drift into a life, and then you you know people email me and say I'm seventy and I've been divorced twice and I don't know the name of any of my children's friends and what's the point and blah 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 and you go blimey maybe he would have been pleased if someone told a funny joke to get him to sit up and then maybe think about his life thirty yeah, years ago. If, if you do open with that, I might crash tackle you. I'll put in practice for some of what I've learned in rugby league and just smash you across the stage. Uh, on a more serious note, just to close out this theme. One of your four gorgeous kids that you are very connected with, and Al told me all four kids. I said, "Who's the favourite?" He said, "We all think we are." I went, "Ah, yeah. oh, seriously, I had goosebumps." One of your kids at Christmas time is around the the Marsh House and wants some advice around career and marketing and brand. What would you give them to fast track the learning, the development, you know, with you not accelerating yourself forward? Would you tell them to take the same path or would you tell them to get over or get some coaching or change the narrative on how they view themselves a little bit quicker? So for me, I think my, you know, all my pathetic sort of reticence and recalcitrance about not wanting to be seen as a, you know, a pushy expert. Don't mistake that for I internally haven't wanted to improve or listen or learn. So I think I think there's a there's a really clear distinction. What, what I what I didn't want to do is be seen as that person that shouts to other people, "Look at me, I'm so great! Look at me, I'm so great!" That, that's not one. So my advice, absolutely, is I'm I'm a big fan of positive thinking, of of stretching yourself, of taking advice, of learning how to listen, of being ambitious in in the proper sense of that word, and all those things. So yeah, one hundred percent. And and my my message when I talk about work-life balance, and I and I can I can take the piss out of corporate life and all that stuff, corporate athletes and blah blah. It's not so resign and sit at home on the sofa watching daytime telly and do nothing. I, I think you should you know squeeze the juice out of life and maximise every day that the dear Lord gives you. It's about conscious choice. So I, I would be horrified if any of my kids thought that my answer or my advice was just be a you know be a slacker who never does anything and, and, and doesn't try you know, that that's absolutely not my message i might say to them uh, earn the right for other people to ask your advice if that is ever going to happen so just work on yourself you know don't don't you know get your head down work very very hard listen learn all those wonderful things and don't you know you needn't hop on instagram and give you you, you know, your views on everything, you know, at the tender age of 21. Because There's polar opposites here. There's the influencer who looks good. He or she is fit, young, flexible, firm. You know, they look all buffed. And then you've got the sage who's taken a while to catch up with himself. And I, I'm, I'm, I am genuinely happy to hear that you're more comfortable giving advice because you have been. You just haven't called it that. But I, I love that term, earn the right. And it is as reps and sets. And it takes, for most people, Nigel, a couple of decades, Rip Van Winkle became an overnight success in 
17 or 18 years. So I think it is that couple of decades to really grow, make mistakes, get feedback, evolve, adapt. Yeah, I love that earning the right. Someone who thought you'd earned a right was a principal of a large uh, Sydney school. And I know this blew you away. There was a closing address, and I'll just pick up a paraphrase of the message. These important milestones and rites of passage have seen your cohort rise to the occasion. I think of the art showcase, drama showcase, insert all the great stuff about the school. I would like to leave you with a message from which I resonated from Nigel Marsh's book, Smart, Stupid and 60. When asked to give a message in his son's HSC class, Nigel said, life is either a daring adventure or it is nothing at all. Your objective as you leave school should be to tiptoe gently through your life so you arrive safely at your grave with a well-preserved body. The objective should be to slide in sideways, completely exhausted, yelling, holy crap, That was fantastic. It doesn't matter how you go in this life as long as you at least have a go. Enjoy all the excitement that life has to offer and have a full go at everything you put your minds to. Goodbye and go well, Mr. Pitcan. I was genuinely blown away. I mean, I I get lots of emails from people, you know, seeing my TED speech or read my books, whatever else. But to have a – none of my kids went to Redham. That's Redham School. That's the headmaster of Redham. And it was someone just sent me a a screenshot of the thing – you know, where a headmaster of a respected school is using me to give advice to his charges as they leave school to go out into the world. And, and that is one of the data points that sort of made me feel, again, you know, slightly more comfortable. Well, if he feels that maybe there are some messages that might be useful for people, if and when anyone asks, you know, I'll, I'll take that in the spirit in which is intended an answer. And, and give advice and, and spare them all this stuff of, you know, gosh, I don't think I've got the right. Yeah, well, hey, I've got as much right as, as other people. And, you know, it's, I, I've got, I suppose, my voice deserves to be heard if it's if it's asked for. That must be nice for you, though, to reflect, to have a cup of tea as the sun's going down in the eastern suburbs one night and just to go, hey, if a principal at a large Sydney private school is quoting from your book called Smart, Stupid and 60 to 17 and 18 year olds. One, the title is not just for people over 60, but two, that that is awesome that that's been picked up and because you know, the closing address is a, is a big thing, in, in, especially in private schools. So that message obviously resonated with the principal to then cascade that out across, across the whole group. Yeah. And, and, and I, I mean, gosh, hugely vain. I, I, I write back to everyone who writes to me but also secretly, and you can't tell anybody, I print off the emails. So I've got a filing cabinet. Every email you get, you print off. But only the ones, not the ones that say, you're an idiot, Marsh, go hang yourself. I, I print off the ones that say, you know, your books give me hope when I think there isn't any, you know, please keep writing, or you, you know, you, you help me give up drinking, or, you, you know, some people say some really lovely things. Mm. I haven't reread them yet but one of these days i will i I will sit down when i'm feeling miserable uh, and and i'll read emails of people saying nice things because i i think you're either delusional stupid or lying to yourself if you don't like it if if someone came up to you and said your work has changed my life you know thank you i i love hearing it it fuels you it's fantastic it's just fantastic so yeah there you go. I knew it was the farce, Nigel Marsh, way, way, way back. It's just taken 15 years of oh, our friendship for you to, to out yourself that you do care and you love all this. It, it's 
it's lovely seeing you be so open and even smile around this. I was going to take the mickey out of you before and say, tell us another story, Grandad, printing out every email. Like, you know, you know they, they're saved on the computer. There's a thing called Outlook now. You can put them in a file. But I, I get it. They're printing off something about books, isn't it? Why we still go back and write a Right, so buy a book, a physical tactile book. But, it, but this is terrible. I mean, people, again, this is all just because you're asking me. It, it is, uh, I, I'm not saying that reflects well on me that I've got a vanity file. <laughs> I love it. Fat 40 and fired, fit 50 and fired up, smart, stupid and 60. Did you like my title, my saggy, seductive and 69? No, 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 no. You've, you've missed the decade. Uh, yeah, thing. I was being a bit rude because sometimes no, sex sells. No, yeah. it's, it, it, it's smart, senile and 70 or eager, erect and 80. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just move on from that one. Uh, you, you've, you've got a gift at bringing humour to life. So you, you build humour into your stories. I can't remember whether it was you or a friend of yours, but who cares about the detail? But in Fat 40 and Fired, there was a story about some guy at home who was between jobs, listening to heavy metal music, cranking, it's a generic term for for yeah, having fun with himself on the chair. And his wife, your wife, walked home with a bunch of colleagues. So first of all, I, I, and, and, and because we've moved recently, so that book, Fat 40 and Fight, is in storage. So I couldn't reference check. So first of all, was that you whacking off in the lounge room or was it a buddy of yours? Because it's been a while since I read it. No, it, it, actually, it actually wasn't me. But, but you, if, if people say, oh, I love the, your honesty. In the book, I say it wasn't me. It's never me. But yeah, I, I don't want to appear to be over-defensive because they'll go, you you protest too much. But it, it, it doesn't really matter if it is or if it isn't because it's bloody hilarious. And it was actually a client. A client. So can you and, pick, pick up, just out, explain the story a little bit more for those that haven't read it? Well, it, 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 I mean, gosh, I could, I could tell you the name, but I, but I won't. Let's, let's pretend Charles. So his wife leaves early to go out for client drinks. So he smacks on the headphones and, and his personal preference for self-love uh, was uh, to pleasure himself whilst listening to heavy metal uh, and, and watching a porn video. But the bar was closed or for whatever reason. So his wife came back with the client. But the thing that's just appalling is come into the room and the bloke is jacking off and he doesn't stop because he doesn't know they're there. So the missus is going, sweetheart, sweetheart, we're home and Mr. Sukahara is with us, sweetheart. And then <laughs> walk up and yank headphones off head. Go, put it away, you pervert. Wow. Um, I just, how did that say his name was Charles? How did that play out after that? Was, was well, Charles hey, in the doghouse for quite some time? Well, it makes for an interesting drinks at home with the client afterwards. Where you know, <laughs> oh, how are sales? Yes, and the supply chain. Yeah. <laughs> I laughed out loud so hard. I, I showed multiple mates. That book got sent from my place to Canberra to Dubbo to back to Sydney, back to Dubbo with all the boys that I grew up with, just taking an absolute, like, just laughing, that that nonstop laughter. So it, it was a, a very funny story. You're the problem because I, one of my mottos is uh, recommend it, don't lend it. People say to me, I've lent your book to everyone. I'm going, no. Yeah, <laughs> that was before I was an author. You know, now I'd buy copies and I'd give it to everyone, Nige, which I have. I've given your book to four or five people, actually. So 
as, as an author, question, so this is a more of a personal question, but a lot of people that do listen to this, I, I made a facetious joke before. I was told recently I shouldn't make jokes like that. We, we're getting lots of listens, no, nowhere near as many as five in my life, but it's growing. But a lot of people who do listen to this write and want to speak and hone their craft. How do you write? Like, what's your process? Is there a, a warm-up? Do you write a certain time of day? Does the sun have to be in the fit passing of the equinox or do you just do it? Talk me through the process. Oh, okay, I mean, and and stop me if it gets boring. But but so if it's about the writing, writing books, uh, I've got a very clear way of doing that, and and I'm lucky because I only do one every ten years. But th there's different stages. So for me, and I'm very lucky. Penguin are very nice to me. Is so the first stage is I just create. So leave me alone. I don't want anyone's input. I don't want anyone's input. And I'm very disciplined. I go to my little cabin with a cup of coffee. I do it in the morning. And I write and I write anything, rhubarb, 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 whatever it is, I, I just type and I get to a certain amount of words. Usually it's a thousand, which is not very much. But if you set it at a thousand, you, you, you overrun that. You, you keep going. You don't stop when you get to a thousand if you're in the middle of a train of thought, but you can't not get to a thousand. I get to 40,000 words and then I send it to my editor. And if they say that's rubbish, there's no point, then I stop, they never have done. If they say, keep going, I go, thank you. No input, no one has seen it. I then do another 40,000. I've now got 80,000 words in a very disciplined way. I then say, right, I'm now ready for input. And then you get into a completely different, in my head, a completely different creative process. One has been creating, and the second is they now, I'm responding to someone commenting on what I've written. And them saying, so it's a different, you know, one thing, one is I go to my study, it's in the morning, cup of coffee, right away, no distractions, I get it done, very disciplined. And I'll talk about my values in a second, I've got four of those things. Um, but the second thing is disciplined, but it's different, because I'll go to my study and go, right, the editor made three comments for me to respond to, so I'm problem solving. They said, could you write less about your dog, more about your wife, and could you add a chapter here? So it's it's a different thing, It's it's directed rather than just pulling it out of the backside. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, it does. It's an interesting, it's different to the way I write. Is that a legacy of being in agency? Is that how you designed campaigns? Is that how you went through the creative process to first just ideate? It's a find myself for using a buzzword, but just to come up with an idea shower. I had a meeting a month ago, you would have loved this. We were in there as a large financial organization. They said, I like Andrew, come in, we're going to have an idea shower. And an I, idea I, shower. Yeah, and I That's felt it. like I was channeling my mate I'm Nigel Marsh. I don't like giving advice. Yeah, That's how about, it. about just a fucking conversation and talk about stuff? An idea shower. I, I felt like you, but I just bit my tongue because it's a good gig overseas and I wanted to get it. But when do you have an idea shower to start or is that something that's come from advertising? How did you land at that process? So, so I, I um, and I was actually on, um, I was on another podcast recently where I was talking about this, about creativity, it is I've, I've always had quite a clear view of distinct parts of the process, especially in the commercial. You, you know, if you're an artist and you've got a, a benefactor, do what you want. It doesn't really matter. You don't need to listen to you or I. But if you're in the commercial sphere, I think there's separate boxes. So I do very much think there's, and it should be protected and nurtured. It's a beautiful process, which is creating. And everyone should go away, just create, whether you're painting, sculpting, coming up with an advertising campaign, writing a book, whatever it is, it's a beautiful thing. Just, just create, lovely. And then there's the making something happen. 
And you go, well, you've written something. Well, you know, why would anyone want to publish it, Andrew, and blah, blah, blah. And then it's to, to, it's a different thing. Is is you, You've given birth to something. Now, can you mould it into something that should exist in the world? And then the third thing, holy moly, is can you make money from it? And there are three, in my mind, entirely separate things. So I could write a book. Does anyone want to publish it? Well, I've written it, and then Penguin want to publish it. And then he gets anyone to buy it. And you go, well, that's, you know, that's a, that's a different thing. That's, that's publicity and distribution and all those things. So it, it is trying to do everything you can to protect this beautiful privilege of being able to be creative. Because in the, in the main, the world doesn't want you to be. The world gets in the way. Whether it's the school run, your boss, your colleagues, traffic or whatever else, it's a real privilege in your life if you get a little pinky bit of time, a little chink in the universe where you can just be the person, the creative person the dear Lord intended you to be and, and put all, have your own personal idea shower without, like when I sketch, is I, I, I did a sketch on the train this morning. No one's ever going to see it. No one's ever going to see it. I, I sketch it. Hopefully I won't get arrested. The, the, the feet of one of the ladies sitting across from me because it was crossed at an interesting angle. And you go, but yeah, that process of me doing this I'm just doing that. It's a beautiful thing. I'm just creating. No one's going to see it ever. And you go, wow, so protect that. If I then had to go around saying, who wants to buy this? Well, no one. But that wasn't why I did it. I did it because I wanted to be creative for my own purposes. So to, to recognize and create and protect, if you want to, that separate part of your business. Two, two things on that. One is... We're going to stitch you up on social media and have you saying idea shower like there was no joke at all. <laughs> <laughs> Second thing, you know you can get locked up drawing ladies' feet. Yeah, I mean, I should I should have said it was a bloke's feet. I mean, I mean, fully clothed. It wasn't it wasn't anywhere, you know. And and, and it wasn't. She didn't know I was doing it. Oh, of course, that's fine. That's fine. When did you start drawing? I I didn't know about this. This artistic yeah, pursuit oh, of yours. I, I've been. It's been a beautiful process. Uh, probably twenty years. I mean, I'm. Actually, here we go. I was about to say I'm useless at it, and and I'm not. I mean, I mean, you, you know, I mean, I'm not particularly good at it. But I've got to stop with the oh, I'm useless. You know, no, no, I'm I'm not useless. I've, I'm I'm getting better because I I do it every day. Interesting. It's your default in coaching psychology. We talk about being in the weeds and having the conversation and getting up on the balcony. You just got up on the balcony and you corrected yourself. Then, so you're auto correcting. Yeah, I'm I'm not useless at it. But I, I don't want to sell them. <laughs> would you do it in your book? Would you do your book on, uh, what was the 81? I like that. Yeah, Eager, Erect, and 80. Yeah. Would you, draw a, would you draw pictures to go with that? <laughs> well, listen, hey, maybe. So, so I, I, I try and put pencil to paper every day. Yeah, so wow. Then, yeah. But here we go. So if we go, oh, there's a book in there. No, there's not. Who wants a picture of some random's feet? <laughs> on the Bondi Junction train. Nobody. You might be surprised. There's a lot of people who have foot fetishes that listen to this podcast night a lot. <laughs> what 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 is success then? You've written four crackers, four bestsellers. I, I like that frame. That, isn't it great with podcasting? And we're going to talk about 5ML soon as well. But you get to talk to great people and learn as you go. So that framework... Um, working with Dr. Tom on our next idea for a book next year, 
that just gives me so much more structure to create, to make something happen, and then can you make money from it? What, what is success for you with your four books when you look back and go, yeah, I'm really happy or they were successful? What are this, what's the criteria around that word success for you as an author? Ooh, okay. So the new version of Nigel, rather than dodging the question. So there'll be three things. So one would be to have evidence that I have made a valuable contribution. Okay? So that's not money. That's the headmaster of that school saying, blah. Or it's someone writing to me from Oregon saying, your books give me hope. So have I made a valued contribution? Two, have I made some genuine human connections? And really important, this, so I haven't mentioned money yet, right, is are there people, I've got a mate who is a mate because he was a reader of Fat 40 and Fired and he came to see me and blah, 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 and my son did work experience with him and we're dear friends now, right? I made a connection, genuine, when people write to me very respectfully, is have I, soul to soul, have I connected with someone? Right? Even if I haven't made a contribution, it's probably overlapping, but even if I haven't made a contribution, but they think, oh, I, you know, that Nigel seemed, you know, that I relate to that, or I, you know, it'd be like you and I meeting and then talking 15 years later. So it's one contribution, two connection, three, uh, and again, you, you know, take a swim in Lake U, you know, is have I been present in the moment and I gave a oh, I gave a little talk in in Hornsbury Library. They were beautiful, beautiful people, and and you wouldn't go to an evening with Nigel Marsh if you didn't want an evening with Nigel Marsh. So the audience was obviously self-selected, um, and, and but I go and I lovingly give a speech, and there's a Q and A, and and then afterwards there's a nice little queue of people wanting to buy my book and talk to me, and you go, are you actually enjoying this moment? Because this is life. This is life. You are not on Letterman or Oprah Winfrey or whatever, but you are in a loving group of people talking about something that you, you know, I want to be paid a fortune to work part-time doing things I love. And talking in Hornsby Library, no one's mentioned money yet, and I've finished with my three, and I haven't mentioned money. You're talking about success, right? You go, can you actually enjoy the thing that you are doing? So you're providing valuable contribution you're making a connection but also what's the point in doing that if you never stop and smell the roses so i sort of you know i sign a book they say can you can you write it to auntie joe whatever and then take a breath in take a breath out and go you know, internally how good is this there is no downside this is great i mean i've done a good speech they even went down well but you know, can you actually enjoy it? Or is it always the next thing, the next thing? And how can you monetize it? I don't want to monetize it. Now, don't mistake that. This is people, you know, sometimes I am surprised people can be so bloody moronic. That doesn't then mean if someone were to say, oh, Nigel, the speech at Hornsby Library went well, so we're going to send you $10 million. I wouldn't say don't. I'd say great, and I'll keep it all. But that, that's, that's you asked the question, Howard, do I define success? And I've told you the three answers, honestly. That's how I define it. And then the money bit, well, that, that's a different conversation. If you could ask me, how do I make money or blah, 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 or, or would you mind if I made money from my podcast? Yeah, of course I wouldn't mind. I'd be thrilled. But it's not why I go, it's not my intent 
My intent is those three things. But I think if you, I think you've answered the question for me. You do those three things, the money flows because yeah. it's great content. You're creating connection, and the fact that you are getting that that two way communication with some lady, some man, and Hornsby Library. And by the way, if you're listening to this Hornsby Council, ten million dollar check, Nigel's way would be a really nice <laughs> way. They sent me some some loose leaf tea, delicious. Oh. I love loose leaf tea. Remember when you got the loose leaf tea at our Christmas party last year, Thomas? We had a uh, Santa gift, you know, when you swap around. He yeah. ran off with my loose leaf tea. I've been still whinging about it ever since. I don't even drink tea. He doesn't even drink tea. How's that? Your book, good time. Give this a little plug. Yep. Smart, oh, stupid, no, sexy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, so it's interesting. Here we go. So plug is you would be hard pushed to find a better Christmas present because it's funny, but also I, th- I think life teaches you how to lead it. And as we were saying earlier, mate, is if you get to a certain age, then you might have had some lessons. And what I'm finding with the book, which is really, really nice, is lots of people bought the 41. Less people bought the 51, but still a lot of people, but lots and lots of people bought, you know, I don't sold 150,000 copies or something in Australia. So those people, which is phenomenal in Australia, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, I'm told it's the it was the uh, highest selling locally authored book of 2005. Whatever. Anyway, so that's which is uh, you know what what a what a gift, what a privilege. So there will be Auntie Flo or Uncle Fred who is about to turn sixty in the next few years, and it's Christmas, and you don't know what to buy him or her for Christmas, and they enjoyed Fat Forty and Fired. Well, I mean, do I need to join the dots for you? There's a beautiful, or there's some beautiful stories about your kids, and I'll leave that for people to read. But your kids talking about job interviews and their their first experience at work was hilarious. From differences in Sydney to Canberra to Wollongong, the titty and sh- schnitty night in Wollongong. Get, get the book and read it, folks. Jesus, um, like seriously, yeah. I thought, yeah, wow, that still exists. You tell a beautiful story about how you connected with your mum. And how when you back to see went back to see your mum, and it was the first time you'd spent a lot of time with her alone, because it had always been you know, at boarding school back, or you back, and and your dad was there as well. So you want to just pick up on some of the lessons you got from your mum, because I think that's a beautiful lesson for all of us. I I reflect on this a lot, mate. My mum and dad are still alive, and out of my best mates growing up in Dubbo, the Hofside boys, we get together. We will be now getting together once a year again. Now we're past the COVID experiment. I'm the only one out of all five of us whose parents are still alive. So I, I really take that as a special moment now. And I find when I've got a, a presentation on the Gold Coast, like we had when we had lunch and I called you out your charade and you had salad with me and we had sparkly water. Do you remember that? With ice. It was really oh, going yeah. off. <laughs> but I stayed with mum and dad that night. And I used to not do that. I sort of fly back and, and go on to the next thing. I, I really take a moment now on making sure I spend more time with my parents because I just feel blessed that they're still here. So when oh, I read that part about you connecting with your mum, it, it spoke to me loud. I'm, well, I'm so pleased to hear that. And, and I, I had a situation recently where um, my younger son, Harry, he he's in Germany with his girlfriend. But his, his girlfriend was away uh, for the weekend. And so he hopped in Europe, flights cost like nine, nine euros to go places if you go on a stupid airline. He flew to England to see his grandmother, not my mum, but, but my, my, my wife's mum. And you think, God, that's uh, so good at that young age to have learned that, you know, she's not going to be around forever. You know, why not? 
And where this could be anything, mate. It could be fitness. It could be sex. It could be career. It could be relationships, or it could be your dear uh, parents. Is things sometimes a conscious choice uh, need to be prioritised and put a bit of effort in? So, so I, I envy those people who have a natural life where they've got the white picket fence and Granny and Grandfie live around the corner, and you know. Like, but for most of us, the things that you feel, and this is back to, I mean, gosh, we haven't talked about any of the advice I give people about clarity, alignment, momentum is if you actually sit down and work out what's important in your life, that's more than most people. If you do that, but there's a next step, which is then are you going to bloody well do anything about it? So I love your story because what your story says is you, you, you bald fitness freak, you have worked out that you could spend more time with your mum and dad, but you've also worked out because you're not as stupid as I look that it's not going to happen naturally, that no one's going to say, oh, gosh, we'd like you to do a corporate speech to your mum and dad, right? You're going to have to prioritise it. So you could be staying in that five-star hotel that the, that the clients put people like you up in, or you could say, actually, no, no, you need to get me an hotel. I'm going to stay with mum and dad. And it's, that's a, that, and it's not about resigning and sitting on a mountain with them. It, one of the phrases that I love and I use all the time is the greatest mistake that humanity makes is thinking that because you can't do everything, you should do nothing. And I'm a huge believer in the small actions can have the biggest, biggest, really life-changing effects. So as an example, you recognising and then following through on spending the night with your mum and dad, even if you didn't all hug each other all night, you know, maybe you had an argument, it was a bit boring, you just watched the blog. You go, yeah, yeah, but that's life, that's brilliant. You... You, you move the needle a little bit and then just pretend you do it the next time you go, you go, this, this is life, right? So for me, making a, an effort, I used to send my mum, God love her, every, I'm in a book club, every choice, I'd send her the book. She doesn't give a toss. I would call her at half time whenever England were playing rugby. She couldn't give a toss. About it. But, you know, just things. So then now when she's dead and buried, I'm not thinking, oh, damn, I wish I'd, you know, I worked at it. I worked at, at trying to build you know i'm not complaining it was lovely but i worked at doing it because it wouldn't happen naturally because guess what mate i live around the world and she's somewhere else and you go so are you just going to give up or are you going to put some effort into it so i think there's a i mean you've probably got a better phrase for this but i think behavior reveals intent and one of the things that really shits me is people who talk about stuff they virtue signal they talk on instagram they do whatever they do or they tell you over pints of beer what they're going to do, or they do it in business conferences. And you go, well, hold on, let's just have a look. You know, Andrew tells me he's really keen to have a relationship with his mum and dad, and he's stayed on the Gold Coast for the last 10 days, and he hasn't called them up or gone to see them. So you're full of shit. Oh, I'm with them for 21 days. We're going there for three weeks. And mum said to me politely <laughs> the other night, oh, do you and Tony and the kids, because with four kids myself as well, Nige, yeah, it's a full effort packing the car up. Mum said, very politely. Uh, if you guys looked at staying somewhere else to have a bit of a break. <laughs> and I love at the uh, at your mum's funeral what some of her friends said to you. Slight embellishment, but apparently your mum had told them that you'd rung her morning and night for years. Oh, God. So it was on the church part. Oh, it was such an emotional, beautiful day. But, you know, all these old biddies coming up saying, oh, Margaret, you know, because they, they would call her Margaret. She's my mum. But, oh, Margaret, so valued the fact. She would tell us proudly that every morning you would call to wake her up and every evening you call to say good night. I'm thinking, 
I never did that. I never did. I mean, I, mean, I tried to call her every day. <laughs> so, and, and those conversations, if you were to record them, would have been, you know, hey, mum, how are you going? And she's, oh, it's raining in the village. You know, but but they were just, just glue. So it, it's, I suppose it's, um, here we go. I think the answers in life or in business, in the main, my favourite writer, Somerset Maugham, said this, is that the important lessons are too important to be new. So clever though you are, clever though I am, we're not coming up with stuff that Socrates or, or Nietzsche or whatever didn't come up with. Yeah, you know, in business, the answer probably isn't being horrible to your customers and having a shit product and being demotivated to your staff. So it's the same stuff rehash. In fitness, it probably isn't never do any movement and eat lots of cream cakes. So I think that the focus should be shifted from looking for some new insights that only an Instagram has found in 2022 to actually following through on the bleeding obvious. Right. So how about we start with basic advice? Right. And you go, we all know what it would be. If you want relationships, how about be nicer to your wife? If you want a relationship with your parents, how about go and see them once in a while? And then we'll get to new funky on-trained advice later once you've implemented the obvious stuff repeatedly for a couple of years. And guess what? When you have, you probably don't need any new advice because the old stuff is working anyway. So how about you make a good product, you're nice to your staff, you, you, you understand what your customers want and you deliver it, and then come back to me in two years. How's that working for you? Well, if you've done it, it's probably working very, very well, rather than, ooh, I want the latest Simon Sinek advice. Nothing wrong with Simon Sinek. He's fantastic. But, you know, stop looking for new shit. Okay, I was about to jump into a natural segue, which was your podcast, because if you've got good advice, you're making something, people are talking about it. Let's talk about Five of My Life, which is such a beautiful, simple idea. When I look at your preparation for it, you, know, you get people to look at five things. They name their favorite book, film, song, place and possession, but they're also different from Julia Gillard to uh, my favorite one is with Rob when he's talking about his family and the stick. Uh, you've got- yeah. Yeah. Rob Carlton, Carl Honoré. We've got Carl coming up on the Performance Intelligence Podcast next year. Carl, his wife, my ex-girlfriend on off when I was over and back in the UK, Janie was the personal trainer for Carl's wife. So I met Carl years ago. So he's a great guy. Now I'll come to the podcast, but let's just pause. Simon Sinek, because I look at what he does and what he says, and I'm curious and I'm being a little bit provocative here, Marshy. I look at what you do and what he does, and there's some similarities. There are some similarities. And I reckon different time, different place, put you in America, I reckon you would have a massive stage with a massive impact. So there you go. I've just said I think you and Simon Sinek have got some similarities. He's yeah. much more – he does give formula. He does give advice. He doesn't ask for permission. He, I think he pushes a bit much at times. But, hey, awesome messages out there selling millions of books. I see some similarities between you and Simon Sinek. Yeah, and, and – you're not the first person to say that, but thank you. Um, and, and I've worked with Simon, and, and we have a similar background. So, you know, he was in advertising, I was in advertising, blah, blah. But the truth, and again, you know, don't tell anybody. And, and, and you, for me, I choose, I, I, I choose admiration rather than resentment, right? Or, yeah. But I have been giving speeches 
where I start with my major first point is what's the point, right? So I've been giving speeches where I talk for half an hour about what is the point, yeah? Because and and I'm talking it really is very very important to me, and they always went down well, and I had speeches around the world, blah blah blah. I didn't write a book called Find Your Why. Mm. But you are, you are, I mean, I don't mind because I'm, I'm, I'm the happiest man you'll make, but you are, you are right. It, it is you, you could have said to me, Nigel, don't say what's the point, say find your why. I mean, it, it, it literally exactly the same point pre-dating. But, but yeah, he did it, I didn't. And, and that's fine. And, and also he works bloody hard. And, you know, I, I, I would have, because the time I was, this is fascinating, at the time I was doing it, just pretend you had a, you know, you knew where Simon was going to go. And, but you said to me, oh, Nigel, get in quick. You do it, not him. And then you'll be who Simon is. At that time, I would have said, no, how dare you? I don't want to. I wouldn't have been ready. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I'd have got all shy and embarrassed and no, I don't give it a Apologetic. If you said, oh, gosh, we can monetize this. What's the point thing, Nigel? Could you just write a book called What's the Point and more What's the Point and working with What's the Point? I would say, no, no, I can't. <laughs> Whereas now, you know, I might say yes, depending if I want. I might not say yes, but what, so that, what, I, what put him on the map? I, he did the. Uh, I know Kim Kardashian broke the internet for different reasons, but they talk about was it him and Tom Bilio broke the internet when they did uh, a no, video? He, he, you know, God love him. It was it's a, it's a it's a good book and it's a good point. He he literally did a speech. Uh, I think it's the third watch TED speech ever, and it's and it's find your why. Well, I would say, what's the point? But, you know, he, he and, and me, I just talk. I've never got any slides or anything. He had a little, you know, what you do, how you do it. But in the middle of the circle, it's fine. So he codified what I would call what's the point for a business audience, delivered it well, at the first person to do it in a TED forum. And so that was it. And then since then, he's had, you know, been on that TED Bellew, whatever he's called. You, you know, but it was it was the old... It, the content was good, the delivery was good, the timing was good, and, and the the sort of the packaging, and 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 then from, you know so then he's become who he's become. You know, good luck to him. He doesn't I'm have sure a podcast he's though. A podcast now with people saying to him in America, you know, your your work is very derivative of Marsh. <laughs> I'm sure he has. If when I meet him, I will say, you remind me of a mate of mine in Australia. Yeah, he's just heaps better. He <laughs> doesn't have a podcast though, Nigel Marsh, called The Five of My Life. Right. Huh. So the, the Five of My Life, I mean, I am unbelievably passionate and proud of The Five of My Life. And I've thought long and hard about why I'm doing it and 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 how it is different to, and, and, and I'm very happy. I've become less oppositional in my old age. Uh, Andrew. So, so for me, just because I want to do a certain podcast, not like other people's, it doesn't mean that other people's isn't good. They are, they're great. But for me, the format is all, it's not instructional, but you've rumbled me, right? So Find My Life isn't a, here's how to do, but obviously, if you listen to it, you are going to learn some stuff. It's Nigel coming, you, you know, around the corner at that. It's not, it's not chronological. It's not comprehensive. It's just an interesting, different way into having a conversation with someone where their choices aren't the important thing, it's what they represent. And so, uh, you know, I'm really, you know, I did Anthony Albanese a week before the election. We didn't mention the election once. And you learn things about him as a man. That's what I love about it. You've had politicians, Julia Gillard, Anthony Albanese, Peter Fitzsimons, quite controversial figure, Jordan Harbinger, I like that one, Will Anderson, John Eales. You've had other athletes like Grant Hackett, Lane Beachley. It's a real mix. So 
question again as a podcaster, so this is gratuitously squeezing the information out of you, one of Australia's leading podcasts. How do you choose your guest? Is there a real pattern or you just go, she looks really interesting. I'll reach out and get her on one day. So I, I love this. So I, and, and, and it, it most definitely is an advice for, and this, this genuinely isn't advice for people, not because I'm, I'm comfortable giving advice and I'm comfortable saying, don't do what I do because it will be a disaster, is I don't follow the audience and I don't follow the money. Uh, I follow people who I think will lean into the format and tell an interesting story. And and I love the fact in Australia, and all these people are lovely, but there are a list of the usual suspects, and they are great. And I've done them as well. And, you know, it just pretend, let's let's say the project, the project, lovely. But, you know, you tend to see the same people over and over and over again. Well, they've got no host at the moment, but I know where you're going. Yeah, they've all left. Uh, Yeah, but, but, you you know, I mean, there is only so many popular figures that one country this size can have. So Osher's going to be on Will Anderson's podcast. Will Anderson's going to be Osher's. Osher and Will are going to be on mine, blah, blah, blah. And that's lovely. But I like doing, like you mentioned, Jordan Harbinger. You know, or Mary Chiarella, or you know, people who are really sort of go, who the hell are they? Why is Nigel doing them? And you go, well, do you know what? Because he runs the poetry pharmacy in England, and he's the bloke who Notting Hill is based on. There you go. So what what I want is people to, and I've got I've got listeners bizarrely in Canada and Ireland who say, I listen to Vibe My Life, and I haven't got a clue who any of the people are, but it doesn't matter, and that is to my, you know, of course I'll do Barack Obama if he wanted to and all those things, but I, I really like it being the format is all, is you like the format, you think, you know what, this is going to be quite an interesting, uh, you know, half an hour or 40 minutes. I might find a film or a book that I should check out, but also I'm going to learn about somebody who I maybe don't really know. So there's, there's a lady, um, the current one is Nancy Klein, who, who founder of the Time to Think movement about listening. I mean, she's a global figure. No so, one. What did she do? What did she so, do? so she wrote a book called Time to Think. Listening. So it's brilliant. She, she's a, a rock star, but she's not, you know, she ain't going to be on, uh, you know, Channel 7 Breakfast News anytime soon. And I, I don't care. So it's, it's very random. It's, it's, it's a self-indulgent who I think might be interesting. What I like about it as well, it's longevity. And, and you said this to me recently as well, you want to do this until you're a mature gentleman. I don't like the word old. And then you want to hand it over to your son or one of your kids. Yeah, I, I want to release one every two weeks until I die and then hand it over to all my kids. And, and there's a real, I, I just actually this morning interviewed a, a wonderful lady called Zara Seidler, who does the, the Daily Oz. So the two ends of the spectrum, and, and she's very successful and, and it's wonderful, but she's got to do one every weekday. And it's got to be timely. So for me, it's the absolute opposite, right? So she's saying, oh my gosh, I've, I've got to do it. You know, I've got to listen to the news tonight and then record something that's going to be interesting. Whereas for me, I pick someone who I think is interesting and then I ask them to give them their five and I might interview them in a year's time. And their episode will be valid and relevant for the rest of time because it's not about today's news. So I, I've picked something that one can make long-term without it being a huge, onerous burden. You know, can I do one every fortnight? 
Yeah, you've been recently quoted as saying, my humble aspiration is to release one episode every two weeks until I die and then hand it over to my son for him to do the same. That's the simple thing. The second thing is not to let anyone fuck it up. If I could get Oprah Winfrey, but she wanted to do six things, not five, the answer is no, Oprah, no. If I could get Tom Cruise and if he wanted to choose a TV series, not a film, the answer is no. It's about polishing the diamond and the diamond is the format. Oh, lovely. I mean, what an arrogant twat to think that Oprah or Tom would want to do it. But that is true. You've got to have goals, Nigel. You've got to have goals. But, but, I, but I really mean it. It's the format is all. The format is all. It's like, oh, gosh, it'd be really good if you if you did them, you know, three a week, not one a fortnight. No, not happening. It is what it is. You know, there, there have, I won't mention any names. There have been a couple who are not as famous as those two people who wanted to come on and do something different than the format. And you go, well, it's just the wrong, the wrong podcast for you. Don't do it. I'm not going to bend. So it's a really important thing about one of the things about Earth Hour or the Sydney Skinny or Five My Life is actually there's a real benefit in life and in business in having the awareness to not let people fuck things up. I, I see people who get successful. I see people who get in a good relationship. I see, and they subconsciously self implode. How have you, you've been, you've, you've, you've got this thing, it, it could be a product, it could be a business, it could be a marriage, it could be whatever else, and then, or, or it could be a podcast with an idea. You go, oh, I know what we're going to do. We're going to do a Christmas special or we're going to, I don't know, we're going to mess up. How about, so the, the thing I said about the basics, how about just do them? It's, it's like fitness. You go, how about, you, you know, you're not fit and you want to get fit and Andrew takes you on the 10-week shred and you get fit and then you've got some good habits and you blah, blah, blah. You go, how about, you actually just do that for another three years. You needn't train for an Iron Man. I mean, do if you want to, but but you might not want to. You might have just wanted to lose that weight and have a, a reasonable fitness regime. It, it, it's so it's like the philosophy of enoughness and that not being a slacker's charter. You you, you get you know just you know the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. And that is, it's five of my life, not six. Five. No, it sounds like uh, what's I forget the character's name. On there's something about Mary, the hitchhiker. He picks up, you know, you know it's six-minute abs, not seven-minute abs. It's six-minute abs. You know, he just can't get off the fact that you can't break the format, but it works. If you listened or have you listened back to one of the very first episodes? You've been going for a number of years. Have you recently listened yeah. back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because I do compilations of, you know, the best of. I, I, I do um, every, not every single one, but I have yet. What is different now about your interviewing technique and or – what has podcasting done that's changed you? Wow. Well, well, I mean, gosh. I mean, I'm a big fan of, of of actually doing things and learning, doing them with the right intent rather than, you know, I could have spent four years, the last four years learning how to podcast and then launched this year or have I actually do 100 episodes over four years and then be learning as you go. And there's enormous differences. So the early episodes, oh my goodness, there's a lovely bloke called Gus Warland who he's, he's like a DJ on, on, on FM radio. And he was, he's just delightful. And lovely. He's a founder of the Gotcha Movement, doing a lot now in mental health. Yeah, he, he did me the honor of coming on very early. But, you know, he'd tell a story and I'd tell one back. And then he'd tell a story and then I'd tell two back. Then he'd tell a story and I'd say, stop with the stories, mate, because I'm not going to get all my stories in. And then I'd finish the episode telling lots of stories. Uh, and then, you know, my producer very nicely said, Nigel, you're supposed to be interviewing them. So then I stopped, you know, hogging them, the talking stick. But then I moved on to, oh, my God, just hilarious. Where I, I, I take my research very seriously. I've read 90 books I wouldn't normally have read and, and I've 
research the people. Um, and I'd write down a list of questions. So I go, right, Nigel, don't tell stories about yourself. No one's interested in you, or I don't want them to be. Um, it's about the, the, the guest. And this guy, lovely Keith Souter, again, lovely bloke came on and, and I asked him a question. And he told me a story about, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, I did that when I was working uh, in, in Abbey Road with John Lennon. And I said, and your book on five of my life is, and I, I just moved on because my next question on my bit of paper. Ready to go. Unbelievable. And my producer is like hanging himself going, how about you say, you what? John you Lennon. With John Lennon. Tell me about that. So what would I now try and do? I still do the research. I still every now and then crack out a story if I want to. But I, I've got this, this mantra, which is, it goes back to my intent thing um, about, about connection and, and, and contribution, is to wholeheartedly commit to the conversation in a curious, present manner. And that's what I'm doing now. Now, I don't know if it, you know, works on doesn't matter. But rather than thinking, oh, I've got to get some points in about it, you go, no, 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 I've got, I, I've got no idea what you're going to ask me. And whenever you ask me, I'll try and answer it honestly. Um, and if I was in your shoes, I, I, I'd turn it around and then be curious. So it's, it, it, I've, I've totally changed and evolved. And I'm not saying I'm, you know, I've got so much more to learn, but I am a, a totally different interviewer than I was four years ago. Being a student of the craft, as I hear that risk of saying, well, now let me tell you my story, Nigel Marsh. I listened to one recently and I was like, oh gosh, same thing. I think I was so formulaic because you know, how do you do a podcast? Like just have some rough notes and have a chat and pull on the nuggets, John Lennon, they move on. John Lennon, let's talk about John Lennon. And my learning on this has been have a framework, but then have a discussion. What I've loved today, I've learned a lot about you today and it's it's flown freewheel a little bit. But when you mentioned the Simon Sinek, Oh, I want to get into five of my life. No, 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 no. Let's tell me about Simon Sinek. That's something that takes a while to learn. And if we, we shift off podcasting, what's the resonance on that for people who are listening who don't have their own podcast? It's communication and adapting to other people and messages and what they say. It just creates a much better communication process. I've actually had feedback from people recently that they think I've really improved my one-on-one communication because I'm listening better rather than right. just being on a stage speaking. Yeah, and, 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 the, and the, the lady I mentioned, the current episode of my life, it is, she changed my life in 1999 when I read her book. Absolutely sensational. And just to, I think, again, it comes back to the clarity alignment momentum thing in, in the consultancy I run, where people, they're more comfortable starting at the momentum end than the clarity end. And, and, I, and I sort of get it, if you've said to somebody, oh, um, I want to get fit, so give me an exercise regime, you know, everyone would get a bit annoyed if you said, why do you want to get fit? But in reality, it's quite a good question because maybe that person is running away from something. I, in my TED speech, I talk about you know, workaholics who, who think they've got to be more balanced and so they get up at four o'clock and they do lots of runs and stomach crunches. You go, you're actually making it worse? Yeah, and it doesn't mean don't get up at four o'clock and do lots of stomach crunches, but but if you wanted to be more balanced, I wouldn't. I'd recommend get more sleep and and work less or something. So in life, again, it comes to decide, don't slide. Conscious conscious choice is actually think about you know the risk of getting back to my what's the point? You know what's the point in in whatever you're doing? You know why are you do? Don't tell me, but why are you doing your podcast? And if you're not clear about why you're doing your podcast. 
you know, you, you probably should be because you could be spending a lot of time doing something that you shouldn't be doing. I'm just writing out start with why and I'm crossing that out and we're going to get the out point? there now. What's the point? Let's get that yeah. on, the, on the map, on the trademark. Well, that's a beautiful segue. You know what time it is now. What time? This is the penultimate moment of the Performance Intelligence Podcast. This is called the High Performance Baker's Dozen, where I ask you 13 rapid-fire questions. Nigel Marsh, you just answer the first thought that comes to your mind. We have had a little adaptation because you are not uh, – not, it's not good for you at this stage to let people know your favourite song or your favourite movie or book or possession because that's what you do. Totally get it because you'll have someone, probably one of your kids, flip the format. That would be a nice way to hand over the reins. All yeah, right then. yeah, that's right. So I'm, I'm going to ask you 13 questions, still the baker's dozen, but I've filled in the first four. Are you ready? I'm slightly nervous, but yeah, okay. You should be. Your favourite food, question one. Oh, Baboti. Your favourite travel destination? Lord Howe Island. Your favourite form of exercise apart from swimming naked? Coughing. Coughing is your favourite form of exercise. <laughs> We've done so well. Yeah, uh, they've got this evolution. Oh, no, I've reverted. I've reverted. This metamorphosis and you go back to old. Love it. Let's go with coughing. We've never had anyone say that. Uh, the favourite book that you've written out of the four, what's your favourite? Oh, gosh. I, I actually think the latest and I, I hope that's not recency bias but you know as I said life teaches you how to lead it and and I, I like the the power of paradox so smart and stupid it's not you know it, it and actually it's part of my evolution you, you know I didn't say stupid stupid and I didn't say smart 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 stupid yeah I like that question number five in our creative high performance baker's dozen who's your favorite child <laughs> um oh my word myself your son Alex said it is whoever is living the farthest away. And at this moment, that probably makes Harry. And he said when people are away from each other, all flaws melt away. So <laughs> I had an answer for you. Thanks, Al. Question number six, questions I can ask you. What time do you wake up and go to bed every day? Uh, I mean, it varies, but I usually wake up about six and usually go to bed about 11. Do you have a morning routine? I do. I recite a poem. Do you want to hear it? I would. Every day is a fresh beginning. Listen, my soul, to the glad refrain. And spite of old sorrow and older sinning and troubles forecast and possible pain, take heart with the day and begin again. Love it. Who is that reference to? Uh, Susan, Susan Coleridge. Coleridge. Not Coleridge, Coleridge. Not in the no. 19th century. Anyway, I just like it as I'm cleaning my teeth or washing my hands or having a shower. I repeat that. You go, you know, mate, you've been given another day. Yippee. There are lots of people who are underground. You aren't. And you know, I could get into priming and talking about state management and all these physiological and psychological That's terms what you do, mate. where you That's almost what feel like you need to have a shower, like an idea shower. So let's move on to the next question. Question number eight apart from coughing, what does your weekly fitness schedule look like? Ah, this is good. I'm glad you asked. So it's seasonal. So in the winter, nothing. My weekly exercise in the winter, and you can't edit this out because I want people to be legitimized who literally do nothing. 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 I won't edit it out. I'm mortified, my friend. You I'm cannot mortified. edit this out. What, what impact have I had on you over the 15 years we've known each other? Oh, well, nothing. 
<laughs> I literally do nothing. I plan. I proactively write down on a schedule on a planner exercise. Nothing. 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 And then in the summer, I do injury independent. I do a park run on a, um, a Saturday morning. I do swim club on a Saturday morning, and I do a little uh, a lovely thing called the the, the Bronte Biathlon on a Wednesday. Um, but the key is, what's my training routine in between? And you know the answer is nothing. There you go. How long does winter go for? <laughs> Eleven months. <laughs> Six months. Okay. Question number nine. Tell me a go-to productivity tip. Oh, okay. So this is the type of thing that in the past I would refuse, but now I'm going to give you one. So I write down six T T D T uh, on top of my pad every day. My, I, I, I do journal, and it's it stands for six things to do today. Oh my God! Trademark Nigel Marsh. You can't have it. Simon Sinek can't have it. It is life transformational. Where not if you don't think about it properly, but if you think properly, what are the six things I have to do today? Well, I have to interview Zara Seidel. I've got to be interviewed by you. I've got to pick up some broccoli. I've got to do whatever. You know, so, so I have decided before the, the world has come flooding in. Now, I might do more, but I write down those six, what they are, and then guess what? I do them. Now, that sets you apart from probably 95% of the rest of humanity because you've got a little thing when you go up, well, I've thought about what I need to do this Monday. And then I look down and go, well, I've been very, very busy, but I've missed, I've forgotten the Andrew podcast and I haven't, and Zara's in the car park. So it actually can keep you on that conscious choice thing, make your priorities, you know, behavior reveals intent. So for you, it could be go and see my mum. When I was at KPMG, I should have spoken to you because I would write down a list every day of what I hadn't done the previous day rather than doing the six T-T-D-T. Question number 10, your most vivid childhood memory. Ah, so I, I mean, for what it's worth, I was sent to boarding school in a, another country when I was five uh, on my first, you know, five for Christ's sake. On my first day, I was walking <laughs> through the rose path, which was had roses all over wooden structures and whatever. And a bloke actually called Ian Savage. I remember his name. I'm five, he is 12. And I'm walking along and I'm in my little shorts and my stupid cap and mummy and daddy are around the world. I don't know anybody, right? I've got no idea what's going on. And I'm walking to the main hall and he's walking the other direction. And as I get <laughs> next to him, he pushes me with full force into the rose bush. And so I, you know, I'm scratched all over, arse over tip, and I untangle myself and I walk to the main hall with blood dripping down my arms and my face. And they go, you think, wow, welcome to school. Have you seen Savage since? No, uh, it would be nice to. Yeah, it would be nice to give him a little shoulder at a school reunion. Question number 11, the biggest adversity you faced and what did that teach you? Do you know, I mean, and, and I, I don't want sympathy, but there's a, a real answer to that question mate because you know i immigrated around the world to australia i had four kids under the age of five and i lost my job so that was a real inflection point in my life um where you go wow you know i i'm sort of rooted i'm alcoholic i'm fat i'm unemployed i'm 40 i'm i'm nowhere near many friends or family uh 
how how is this going to go? Uh, and anyway, and and the lesson there, which you know, uh, it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me, is the take charge yourself. You know, it, it's up to you, mate. It doesn't mean you can have everything you want, but but you need to be in the driving seat of your own life. Mm. Next question. I'm going to paraphrase this. Apart from your children, what achievement or achievements are you most proud of? Ah, right. So so that's interesting because I, I, I would absolutely say I, like I knew it. the answer, which is why I changed it for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say giving up drinking. That wasn't particularly, I mean, I, I've had a drink for 21 years and it's not the easiest thing to do if your life up until then has been largely based around drink. And question 13, what is your definition of high performance? Actually, can I ask two? What would have your definition or what would have your answer been to that 15 years ago? And and what's your evolved answer now? What is your definition of high performance? Oh, gosh. I, I suspect. What a load of bollocks 15 years ago you would have been no, hissing, I, cursing. I suspect it would be the same. So, uh, but I would go, so I'll tell you what it is now, then I'll retrofit. My definition of high performance is somebody who is comfortable in their own skin, has a smile on their dial, and is kind. I think that would be the three things. And then, you know, they're a banker or a lawyer or a marketing person or a fitness coach or whatever else. But but the people who I actually admire, and I think this has been the same, is I've spent a long time looking at people above me thinking, I don't really admire you. I mean, that's not a bad thing to say. You know, I look at, you know, Marissa Mayer running Yahoo doing 130 hour weeks and you go, well, good for you, love. But I don't I don't admire or envy you. I look at people who've got lots of money, cry going to work. I don't envy you. So I suppose what has potentially changed to the spirit of your question, mate, is I've allowed myself to admire those people. So I've always secretly thought that. You go, hold on, I'm supposed to admire this person and I think they're an idiot. You know, they've got a rubbish marriage and a rubbish career and they're la 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 and they're fat and stupid, right? But I'm supposed to, society holds them up as, oh, I'm so cray cray busy. Now, I think the criteria has, has stayed the same, but I'm unable to, without embarrassment, answer that question. So I think the, you know, person who lives three doors down from me, who's always very, very happy and seems to be a lovely mum and, you know, I think she's a higher performer than some of the people that the AFR may say, ooh, they've just floated their firm. And you go, yeah, but anyway, so that would be my my answer. Now, there's a separate answer is who do you think is the most financially successful? Well, that's a different question. Nice answer. We've covered a lot today. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed spending this time with you and getting to see that side of you that is evolving. I've seen it and I could see it at lunch, but you're comfortable in that. You are an advice giver. You should be giving advice. But we go back right from the start that Al helped me give the introduction. I literally had goosebumps when he said that to me, Nigel. So you should sit down tonight and reflect and and just take a, a little bit of a moment, a couple of minutes to think about that. I think every parent would love their kids to say that. We've spoken about your evolution. We've spoken about you or Charles, whoever, whacking off in the chair to the heavy men. <laughs> Hello, Charles. <laughs> uh, spoken about writing books, spoken about podcasts. But what I've really got out of today is the evolution. And you have been a teacher for lots of people. You've been a teacher for me today, especially. So thank you for your time. Final question. We'll call this the flip. Is there a question that I should have asked you or you would like me to ask you? Or do you want to flip it? Is there a question you want to ask me? Hmm. 
No, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, there isn't. But but what I do want to say is, um, I, I've I've really enjoyed this, mate. And, and and but and if you go if I go back to my original things about contribution and connection, is I've enjoyed this, and I felt that we've had a real conversation, you and I. Uh, but I just hope that some of your listeners get something of value from it. That, that's what I, so here we go. The question is, could you please let me know if they do? So I really like it. If, if you get an email from someone saying, if you get one saying that was the worst episode ever, who was that numpty? Could you put that in the bin? But if you get one saying, oh, I really enjoyed that chat with that, that pom, um, could you please forward it on to me? I'll do, I, I'll do something better in our normally three times a year roughly catch up often when I'm at Bondi what'd you call me a BFF I thought uh, BFF was your best friend forever like my kids say oh she's my BFF he's my BFF what you call me a bald fitness fucker was it BFF anyway so when bald I'm fitness weirdo bald fitness weirdo when I'm down with my other BFFs at Bondi and we do our irregular catch-ups I'll print it out and I'll hand to you to put in your file if you get any we'll get some hey thank you very very much for today Oh, absolute pleasure, mate. Go well and happy Christmas. Yeah, you too. Cheers, mate. Hi again, it's Andrew, and I hope you really enjoyed that episode. We would appreciate if you helped to amplify the Performance Intelligence Podcast by sharing episodes with your friends and with your colleagues by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help get the message out to a wider audience, and I love reading the comments as well. If you'd like to know more about booking me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or purchasing one of the books I've written, including MatchFit, or if you'd just like to receive my monthly e-newsletter, which is called the AM edition, that has stacks of information specific to all things human performance, go to andrewmay.com and we'll see you on the next edition of Performance Intelligence. Performance Intelligence.